Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about how conservative politicians are awful, full stop, even in the future, so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Naked in Death by J.D. Robb. Joining us to discuss our, the first entry in Our Lady Nora's My Favorite Murder series is Nora Roberts' secret cult member and still internet recluse, Christine. Hi. And again, I just want to make another full disclosure that I've since married Nicole. So now I am officially Kate's secret second cousin also. Second cousin-in-law? Yes. How does that work? I don't know. But we're now, you can't get rid of me now. It's true. We are now legally bound together. Yep. Through the law and the flying spaghetti monster. Yes. I'm not, and I'm fully prepared to cut you out of my life at a moment's notice, Christine. <laughs> so you say that, but then I come in and DM for you, and and it's all love. Mm, true. <laughs> I'm I'm fickle. I just I just want to be clear. I don't That's know. Fine. I don't know why we got started on this. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you're unaware. This is J.D. Robb is one of Nora Roberts' pseudonyms, and this is the pseudonym she uses to write her, like, murder... How, how did Wikipedia put it? I think, like, romantic suspense novels, which now that I know what it's called, I can officially say it's, like, my favorite genre ever. I want, like, 70% murder and 30% romance mm-hmm. is my, like, good, good mix there. I have two things to say. Uh, does she have other pen names that she writes under? Well, Nora Roberts is a pen name. Okay, but I mean, other than those, that and this. I, I think very early on she had another one, but these are the two big ones. Okay. Uh, second of all, I would like to add, because this took me by surprise when I first started reading and I was like, wait, what? It's futuristic romantic suspense? Yes. Which I had kind of forgotten. Like and I was, just, yeah, I was like reading, and I was like, okay, she's a police detective. And then on page two, it's like she opened up the newspaper and saw that all the robot dogs were recalled, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> there are flying cars and lasers. Also, before we get too far into it, uh, this episode does come with a content warning. Uh, obviously, there's some pretty graphic murder involved, but also uh, rape and child rape. And I don't think we're going to describe any of those things like in super detail, but uh, they are kind of integral to the plot as we go on. But yeah, so like I said, like romantic suspense, like this is my jam. Basically, what I want to read is like stories about a, you know, committed couple where also one or both of them is solving a crime simultaneously. Well, the good news is there's 60 more of these books. (laughs) I am stoked. Yeah, and I mean, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, uh, that's not my ideal ratio. My ideal ratio is like 0% crime, <laughs> but my ideal ratio has uh, at least one cat saving saving a human life, and so I did get, spoilers, I did get that in this book, and so I loved it. You're welcome. Yes, thank <laughs> you. Um, I So... I would like to talk about how this book came out in 1995, and I'm not sure it specifically identifies what year that it takes place in, but it seems to be, like, at least 2050 or something, because the gun ban happened in 2023, and that's, like, history. Yeah, it's the mid-21st century. Okay. Nice. 
So there's, in 1995, Nora had a really sunny outlook on the future. Uh, and Renata helpfully made a list of some of the futuristic things that happen in this novel. And there is, of course, the gun ban from 2023. Uh, cops have, like, laser weapons that can stun people now and can also kill if needed. But there's a lot more stunning going on. Mm-hmm. Um Sex work is legal and sex workers are protected under the law and need to be licensed. Uh, media comes on discs that less futuristic. Everyone communicates by like video phones. Police officers are paid worse than journalists. I kind of feel like maybe that is still currently the case. I guess it depends. I guess if you're a journalist who still has a job. Yes, Perhaps. that is that is true. I would say police officers and their unions certainly have better job security than journalists. We are recording this uh, in the aftermath of all of the media layoffs at the end of uh, January. Mm-hmm. The worst thing about this feature is that coffee is almost extinct. Like, real coffee is a real luxury and it's super expensive. And so most people drink a vegetable-based substitute that apparently tastes gross. Yeah, a lot of, like, also meat is largely replaced by soy-related products. That I was into. And no one, like, bakes anymore because sugar is super expensive, so a lot of it is, like, simulated. They call them, like, simulated desserts, which I don't entirely know what that means, but... Right, because it's still, it's not like it's a sim. Like, it's a real food that you can put in your mouth. Yes. Um. Also, Pepsi comes in tubes, And there's no mention of Coke, so I don't know if Coke just went out of business or just, like, Nora prefers Pepsi, and she's like, in my future, Pepsi is okay. That is the one, the one hang-up I have with Nora is her love of Pepsi, and it really hurts me. (laughs) I hadn't, I was not aware that that was a thing. Yeah. Well, there, there is Coke in year one. That's right. We talked about that. But this book, Pepsi, and it comes in tubes, which I'm not totally sure what that means. Like, is it like Gogurt, but it's Pepsi? Or is it like... Or yeah, like, is it like basically. bagged milk? Or like, is it still liquid Pepsi? Or does Pepsi have a different texture now? It's still liquid. You can just roll up the tube and recycle it. So it's like Gogurt, I think. Okay. Smart. Pepsert. Oh, also, I think Washington, D.C. has statehood since it's called East Washington now. But she, they never explicitly call it a state. It just, like, has a new name. And so that's what I assume happened. So that's good. Yeah. So why don't we, we'll jump into the summary and then we can talk a little bit about why this book was our jam. And I have some things to say about Nora's politics. Yes. Um, so the book follows Eve Dallas, who is a lieutenant with the New York Police and Security Department, or is it Security and Police? I think it's Police and Security, NYPSD. Um, she's very young. She has no past. She was found wandering around Dallas as a child and was put into the foster care system, which is why her name is Eve Dallas. Mm-hmm. By the way, when you say very, she's 30, which is like young for her rank, but yes. I mean, she's not like a, a child. Yeah, no, she's not a child. She's, but she is 30 and she's already a lieutenant in the police department, which is very rare. Um, I imagine, especially for a woman, even still in the future, based on sort of how women are treated in this book. Um, and the night before the book opens, she had murdered, well, not murdered, she had killed in the line of duty a, um, 
criminal who had it was a man who was like crazy and had tried to kill his wife and successfully killed his baby daughter well i think she was like three she's three three years yeah he killed um, a child and he was so drugged up that her stun gun wouldn't work apparently that's a thing so she had to kill him because the stunning wouldn't work and he um you know he was in a murdering mood yeah and she's real fucked up about it for foreshadowing and uh, she needs to get psychological testing before she is let back on the street. But before she can do that, she gets a call uh, that there is a case that is overriding the need for testing and that she needs to go to the murder scene of Sharon DeBlas, who is the granddaughter of like a really famous right wing conservative senator who has broken off from her family to work as a legal sex worker in New York City and she's been found murdered with an actual gun with bullets which are illegal now. Mhm. So it's it's a very shocking crime on just all kinds of levels and the family wants it to be handled with discretion and so that's why they've pulled even cuz they're like sh- sh- I don't know she's the best one for this job and She'll keep her mouth shut. So it's like her and um, then her computer cop friend, Feeney, is there to do, like, you know, digital analysis or whatever. Yes, he is a cop who works with computers. He's not a robot. Oh, right. He's he's her former partner. They used to be partners. Yes. And he got promoted, I guess, being the kind of computer cop that he is as a promotion, technically. I don't know. Anyway, they work separately now, but now they're reunited for Sharon's murder. Well, he's a captain. He got promoted to captain, and captains don't usually work the streets. Okay. I don't know how police work. (laughs) So at the crime scene, they find that Sharon, that's her name, right? Yes. Sharon, yes. Sharon had an appointment with a client that night, but it's John Smith, so that's not helpful. And they assume that, like, her death was related to her line of work, and Because even though they, it's very interesting to me, I know I said to get into politics later, but they make a point several times of saying that, like, sex workers aren't murdered anymore the way they used to be constantly in the 20th century, because now that sex work is legal, like, it's very regulated, so it's not like you're picking people up off the street and then killing them. So it's, like, very weird that this has happened and, like, sex work, they say at one point, is, like, more... It's a safer job than being a teacher. Yikes. But, so they're like, oh, like, a client must have done this. Uh, So they interview her neighbor, uh, Charles, who is also a uh, sex worker, this the area where she lives in, like the apartment building, is largely made up of licensed companions. Yeah, uh, but which is- like prostitutes are called licensed companions or just LCs for short. And my idiot brain kept being like, oh, they're all Lauren Conrads. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're not. They're licensed companions. They also find out that the person who owns the building is Rourke. No first name that's just what he's called and he is a super famous dude he's one of the the richest people in the world and he owns many buildings in new york and also there was an appointment with him in her date book for earlier that week so he becomes a suspect in addition to like this last client and 
Yeah, I guess that's that's where we are at that point. Well, they um, find they find a note that says she's one of six, yes. so that makes her think it's more like a murder spree that's just starting. Yes, yes, that is also important, and also the vid- the security. There's video security on the building, and it's been tampered with, so it's not clear who was coming or going, mm-hmm. and that is also kind of a big deal at this point. Yeah, um, and it's something so. that since Rourke is the owner of the building, he might be able to do. Yes. And also he owns a bunch of a bunch of like security technology companies. Uh, so Eve goes to Sharon's funeral and she sees that Rourke is there and kind of confronts him after the funeral to ask him some questions. And he like immediately is super into her and she's like kind of has this disdain for him, but also he gives her for real coffee. So she's like, okay, maybe this isn't, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Yes, my Um, notes for this chapter say, Rourke is horny for Eve, Eve is horny for coffee. And that's a (laughs) dynamic that we will see throughout the book. um, So at this point, it seems like Rourke is actually based on the claims that he made for like why he was with her. He seems pretty good for the crime until another young woman is murdered. Lola star, who is also a sex worker, a licensed companion. And she's, she's very like Sharon is like a famous companion and like very high pro, like very charges a lot. She's like a fancy sex worker. And Lola is 18. Like she just got licensed. She's just starting out. Um, and so she is not making a ton of money and it's like not, I don't know, she doesn't have a glamorous life. Yes. And also in there before Lola is murdered, um, Eve gets a package at her home, which is a video of Sharon being murdered. And Eve finds out that Lola was murdered because she gets another package at her home, which is another video. And this time it's of Lola being murdered and it has the message at the end, two of six. So she's kind of like thrown into the middle of this. She needs to investigate Lola um, because her clientele is so different from Sharon's. They can't find any links between them. Uh, She asks Sharon's neighbor, Charles, who is kind of her BFF, if he knew Lola and he didn't really know her either. Like they can't figure out what, like even if you're murdering licensed companions, like these two don't seem to be connected in any way besides their profession. Yes. Then there's there's a lot in this where it's just sort of going back and um, discussing with various suspects and, and, and Rourke a lot. Like, she talks to Rourke pretty much every chapter. And one, one of the reasons that Rourke is such a person of interest is that he collects old guns and vintage guns. And so Eve... I feel like Eve has never, like, seen a gun in real life, or at least they're, like, very rare. So she um, goes and, like, looks at his guns, and they just have this real horny dynamic where Eve is so, like, controlled and professional, and she doesn't want to get involved because um, she doesn't really think he's a suspect, even at this point, but he's, like, involved, and she, you know, it looks bad, and also she is so traumatized and troubled that she, you know... She's protecting her heart, and Rourke is, like, so horny for that. He's like, normally women, like, throw themselves at me, and, like, she's so icy, and I love it. And they have that dynamic going a lot. Yeah, she goes to his office to confront him after Lola is killed, and kind of... He he doesn't have a solid alibi for any of the murders. Like, he was generally, like, 
on his own at this point, but she pegs based on his reaction to the crime scene photos, like, oh, like, he didn't do it. Like, probably he didn't do it. But she still, like, won't let him kind of come on to her because she's like, oh, you're part of an investigation and I'm focused on solving a murder and not on hot billionaires. Um, But she does go over to, like, look at his gun collection and they kind of make out and she's, like, into it but then angry at herself for being into it and she leaves. And uh, so she decides at some point that she is going to go and interview the rest of Sharon's family. So she... First, she goes to meet with the senator and his uh, personal assistant named Rockman, who the senator is very like, oh, like a woman in charge of this case and she's not good at it. And, you know, you're not solving it. fast. Well, first, he's like, you're not solving this case fast enough. And then when she sees him a second time, he's like, I don't care about whether or not you solve the case. I just want this case to die so that my granddaughter and family can have peace. Well, and Which, he's, he's offended that they think there's a link between Sharon's murder and Lola's murder. Cause he's like, Sharon wasn't like that. And like, now everyone's going to think she was like a trashy, like a real trashy sex worker. Instead of a classy sex exactly. worker. Exactly. Yes. Um, so after they meet with the senator, uh, he sends Rockman to tell them and Eve figures it out. So she sends Feeney back to New York and she goes to interview the rest of Sharon's family. Um, and Sharon's mom is like, well, you know, we I, I smothered her because I wanted more children. But because of like population the suggested population is two parents, one child. So I didn't want to go against that. Uh, so I just had the one and I feel like I kind of smothered her. And, uh, you know, she really like ran off to New York and kind of like didn't care what we said and tried to like cut us out of her life, even though her father and I didn't really like super disagree with her lifestyle the way that her grandfather did. Um and also mentions that she's always kept a diary since she was little, but um, Eve did not find diaries when they searched her apartment and mentions that Rourke went to visit her because on her parents' behest, because he is a very good friend of her parents. And they thought that maybe if someone outside the family talked to her about her cutting her family out, she might like come to her senses, quote unquote. Plus, work is so sexy, he can just, like, make things happen. Yes. So sexy and so rich. Yes. Um, so then she goes back to New York. And I think at this point, she has she finally gets pegged for that psychological testing she was supposed to go to, which mostly is there for foreshadowing about the fact that she can't remember her life prior to when she was picked up on the street when she was eight, But she still has a strong emotional reaction to a child who was abused by her father. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Yeah, it's it's mostly just that. And then also talking about uh, the possibility that Rourke is a suspect or not. And um, the idea that this this psychologist could do a, a profile also of the killer. And that she's a very good psychologist and that her profile would probably be accurate. But she yeah. can't do it yet for reasons. Yes. So Eve goes to see Rourke again because she wants to look at his gun collection again. That's not a euphemism yet. And also... A little bit of a euphemism. 
also shoot his gun. Also not quite a euphemism yet, but it will be momentarily. Uh-huh. And I mean, because and he, yeah, he really wants to show her his guns. That is a euphemism. <laughs> uh, so she she fires a couple guns, and he's impressed how good she is at it, and gets real turned on that she's super good at firing guns. Uh, and they fuck. Yeah. And in the morning, she wakes up and she's like, well, shit, I didn't mean for that to happen. I have to go. She gets in the shower and she's like, I have to go back to New York. And he's like, first, we're going to fuck in this shower. So they do. Like, I'm very, barely exaggerating yeah. what the dialogue is in this scene. It's very... <laughs> One thing that is uh, that I like about this and that um, I haven't read as many Nora books as you two have, but I feel like even so, a pattern for her is like, an emotionally closed-off woman and a man who is like, I want to talk about my feelings, and my feelings are that I like you so much, and why don't you like me? Like, I think you like me, but why won't you say that you like me? And it's this kind of reversal from how that kind of relationship is often portrayed in media, and it's refreshing. Yes. Gosh, what happens now? Uh, She goes back to New York and she gets a dressing down from the chief of police because he knows that she slept with Rourke and also he's mad that the case isn't solved yet because he is also a politician who's going to be running for office soon and he's also BFFs with Senator de Gloss whatever he's also a huge dick yeah. yes um, so he's real shitty and he's like we are having a press conference now and you're going to talk to the police I talked to the, the press. press. Yeah. Uh, so she kind of is forced to do it against her will. And then he gets mad at her because she's real good at it. And she's able to like both shut down a lot of the questions with like his script. But then at the end, she goes off script to kind of give this impassioned plea that like, don't forget about Lola just because a senator's granddaughter was killed. Like this young woman also deserves to have her murderer found and, one of the reporters is so impressed, Nadine, that she follows her after the press conference and is like, why don't we work out a thing where, like, you tell me what's really going on and give me the first scoop and I won't leak, like, all of this information that I got to the press. And she's like, okay. Cause, yeah, because Nadine's getting the same set of videos or a similar set of videos anyway that um, Eve has gotten. It also has all of Eve's information is being leaked to her. Yeah. Yeah, all of her, like, police reports and stuff. Yes. So that's not great. They finally find where... They think they effort, They think they find where Sharon's um, diaries were being kept, um, but it's not actually... They find a safe deposit box in her mother's maiden name. Or actually, her mother never changed her name, so her mother's name... But inside of it is not her diaries, but rather a a blackmail ledger (laughs) of all of these uh, politicians and famous people who she's blackmailing. Sharon, Sharon's crafty, or was, I guess. And one of the people was the chief of police. So already Eve and Feeney were like, this guy's a dick. But now they're like, no, he's really a dick and we don't trust him. Yes. And there's a third murder, which is... Georgie Castle. Georgie Castle, who is an older grandmotherly licensed companion. Um, She's in her, I think, 50s. But in this world, you can live to be like 120 easily, if not more. Mm -hmm. So that's like not super old yet. And also everybody gets like 
body modifications to look younger. So she's a gilf. Age ain't no thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you said the word gilf. I did. <laughs> I did. And we're all gonna have to deal with that. The most important thing about Georgie Castle, of course, is that she had a cat who Eve stole. Yes. Uh, his, her granddaughter or her daughter, when she, uh, her daughter shows up at the apartment looking to meet up with her for their, like, their weekly mother-daughter date and finds out that she's been murdered and is, like, hysterical. So Eve's like, uh, I can't leave this cat here and I don't want to say to this sobbing daughter, like, take this cat with you. So I guess I'll just take it to the police station with me. Yeah. Which leads to a great scene where uh, she threatens some scumbag with the cat biting off his dick. Yes. Yes. That would have been a great dramatic reading too. Uh, Yes. You just have to read this book to get the whole dose of it. Yeah. Because like she walks in and there's like a suspect waiting for something and he like tries to show her his dick and and yeah and she's like this cat will eat your dick and I love it. (laughs) Yes. Um, And also when Georgie was murdered once again, the gun was left behind. The last two guns hadn't been registered to anyone, but this one is registered to Rourke, which is shocking, except not shocking to the reader because Rourke has already told um, Eve in an earlier scene that he was going to space to do some business because that's just the thing that happens at this point in the future. So he was not like available to have murdered this woman because he was in space surrounded by other rich people. Other space space business people. people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like they don't go to the moon or to other planets. It's just like space stations, I guess, which I'm not super sure what the point of them is, except A, to be a good alibi and B, to show that it's the future. But anyway, that's where they are. Well, his space business was super secret. So no one knew about it except the other people who were doing space business and now Eve. Mm. Um so, like, clearly her conclusion is that somebody tried to frame this on him, but not someone who knew him well enough to know that he would be in space. Mm. Yes. Also, around this time, there is an unrelated murder that is very good, which is another grandmother murders her husband with a poisoned pie. And she's, like, very blasé about it. And it's hilarious. And it is one of her dramatic readings. So you'll get to experience that delight. Um, again, it's not really related. I think it's just sort of like a bit of whimsy in amid Eve's other police work. Yeah, which is something I did like about this book. This isn't the only time. There are a couple other times where, like, it's very clear Eve is a working policewoman. It's not like this is her only case. Like, even though it's very high profile, they talk about her doing other cases. And also there's a point where, like, she has she stops a robbery in progress, like, begrudgingly. Yeah. All she wanted was a candy bar. Eve, you'll find throughout the entire series, will do a lot for a candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> she will fuck up a lot of people to get that candy. Oh, what an icon. I love her. <laughs> Um, so Eve has to interrogate Rourke and he's like real pissed about it. But at this point she's like, sure he didn't do it, but like because of police procedure, she needs to do it anyway. And also I think at this point, um, Mira, who is the psychiatrist 
who works for the police has delivered her profile and it's fairly clear based on the profile that Rourke did not do it. And also the computer does not think he did it any longer. Yeah. Um, he's like real pissed that she's interviewing him. Um, but then after he leaves pissy, uh, Feeney is like, listen, bitch boy. She had to do that because yeah. Yeah. And, and like, don't you realize it would have looked worse if she hadn't like, then people would suspect that she was in on it with you or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he tells them like how staunchly she's been defending him this entire time and insisting he couldn't have done it. And he feels bad. As he should. Damn right. Uh, Anywho, then, uh, then Rourke and Eve have another conversation where he's like, I love you. Like before they've had just sort of feelings and lust, but he's like, I love you. And she's like, what the heck? Um, they have another meeting with, um, Rockman and, and Senator DeBlas where they're like, hey, seriously, stop investigating this. What are you doing? And she's like, that's normal and fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, she, she asks several times, like, but, like, your granddaughter was murdered and it's my job to find the murderer. And they don't, like, she is very put off by the fact that they don't seem to think that it's a, a big deal if she were to just stop investigating. Yeah, they're like, well, she's already dead. You can't bring her back. Let's just move on. And she's like, um... This is my job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, Rourke helps Eve do some, some hacking, which is very exciting. Um, and they find that Chief Simpson who they already knew was sort of shady because he was on Sharon's blackmail list. And also he's just a real dick, but now they have definitive proof that he not only is being blackmailed and paying out to her, but also that he's taking all kinds of bribes and whatnot in his he's secret. Shady as fuck. Yeah. Um, so at this point, Eve is like, she doesn't think he's smart enough to have committed the murders. And when she's looking at the, she goes over the videos of the three murders over and over again and finds some discrepancies between the first one and the second two. But when she asks the computer and Mira both if there could be two killers, like one person who did the first one and then a different person who did the second two, uh, both the computer and Mira are like, no, that, that would never have happened. Like, you're silly. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then Eve goes to see... Oh, by the way, the, an, an investigation against Simpson is sort of happening in the background. Um, yes. He's and mad also, about it, obviously. Eve gets a phone call from Charles, who's yeah. like, oh, I remember that Sharon asked me to sign up for a safe deposit box with her. Yeah, under uh, under the name of my sister. Um, and then so, while, while they're getting... While Eve is getting ready to go see Charles, she gets a phone call from what turns out to be Catherine and Sharon's aunt. And she's like saying all sorts of weird stuff that makes Eve want to go see her. So Eve goes to see Catherine. Well, she, she doesn't know it's Catherine at first. She just knows that the call came from Sharon's parents' house. So she goes to go to their house and sends Feeney to go pick up Charles and go to the safe deposit box. And once she gets there, Rourke comes with her because unrelatedly, 
uh, Sharon's parents have called Rourke and asked him to come visit. So the two of them fly on Rourke's private plane to East Washington and go to see Sharon's parents. And that's where Eve talks to her, Sharon's aunt, Catherine, who is a congressperson and is like hysterical and finally admits to Eve that when she was a little girl, her father, who is Sharon's grandfather, who is the senator, uh, sexually abused her and that she knows that when Sharon was a little girl, she sexually he sexually abused Sharon as well. Mm-hmm. Like like ongoing repeatedly uh, often. This is yes. happening. Uh, and Feeney calls from New York uh, because he's gotten Sharon's diaries that and find and finds in her diaries that both all the stuff that that Eve just discovered that uh, Sharon was sexually abused by her grandfather that her aunt was sexually abused by the grandfather that her grandfather is a client of hers who comes by regularly. Wow. Which is normal. Yeah. Barf. And uh, her grandfather, by the way, we've said that he's right wing and he, he wants, he opposes the gun ban. He wants to bring guns back. And he also, he's been working really hard on this morality bill, which is to, what's the opposite of legalize? Outlaw. I, yes. He wants to outlaw uh, sex work again. And he's like real worked up about it. Yes. Um, so she goes to the Senate floor, like where he is presenting this morality bill and basically arrests him in the middle of a session of, of the Senate, um, while he's sitting there preaching about like morality. So it's very, very narratively satisfying. Yes. Queen Nora. Um, anyway, so Eve is like, cool, brushing off hands, like, we've got him arrested, um, she goes home and visits the cat and thinks about what she should name her cat, and then Rockman, the assistant, comes over, and so and he's her- in, he's in her bedroom when she gets Oh, yeah, in. yeah, he's there. He's and- not visiting, he, he is ass broke in. And at this point, um, they had interrogated the senator for a while, and even though the district attorney said that uh, he would be held without bail, he is actually let out on bail on his own recognizance. So he's no longer in jail. He is free in the wind. Well, he's uh, he's supposed to be at home resting. Yes. Because he was having some kind of like heart attack. Where? What happened? Oh, so Rockman. Right. Rockman is at her house when she comes home and essentially like villain monologues at her that he, that the Senator killed Sharon in a panic. And then she had taunted him about the diaries and that she was going to black, like come clean about it or like come public about it. Also, I think we forgot to mention that early on the Senator had been a suspect, but he and Rockman were each other's alibis. Or, yes. or Rockman had been, anyway, they were each other's alibis for Sharon's murder because they were together working on a bill or something. Yes. So uh, the senator had killed Sharon in a panic and then Rockman helped him cover it up. And then he, part of the cover up job was that he was going to murder additional licensed companions to make it look like a killing spree based on that. But he, like, really got into it. Real into he, it. 
yeah, he's real into murdering. So he's also going to murder Eve now. Mm-hmm. And he, he he tells them that he just left the senator who basically just blew his brains out. He, yeah, he convinced the senator to shoot himself, basically. Convinced uh, slash forced him to, like, it didn't really seem clear if the senator would have had the option not to kill himself. Yes. Um, well, the idea was that he couldn't deal with the embarrassment of the fact that Eve had him arrested and basically had him dead to rights. Yeah, because he because yeah. he was a garbage person, but so is Rockman. Yeah. Anyway, so he um, he has a gun and he's cu- he's got Eve unaware, and it um, and she's sort of doing the math of like, well, I know the gun will work faster than like whatever I can do, um, but then surprise. The hero cat comes in and trips Rockman, and that gives her just enough of a chance to, like, get the jump on him and, you know, get the gun away from him. And beat the shit out of him. Yes. And also, when she she had set up the her vid link or whatever to broadcast the villain monologue because she could tell it was happening, and so her former partner, Feeney, like, checked in at the office and received this villain monologue and, like, sent further back up to her home. The day is saved. By the uh, cat. By the cat, who Eve names Galahad. Because he is her white knight. Yes. And that's basically the book. Yeah. Then then Rort comes and, like, does some little caretaking of her. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. It ends with some snuggles and, and a happy cat. Which is the way that all books should end. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And and misogynist murderers in jail or dead. Best of both worlds. Just every just honestly, just everything. This is why Nora is a number one best selling Oh my yes. So an interesting thing to me, there's a couple things that I want to talk about about the book, which obviously I loved. One of them is that this was, I checked on Wikipedia to see if this was a case of everyone knew from the start that this was her alias or if it was a secret for a while. And it looks like it was a secret for a little while. Like it was not initially well known that she was J.D. Robb. And apparently the reason that she even published these books as J.D. Robb was because she was publishing too many books too fast. She was writing books too quickly for the publisher to keep up and to, in good conscience, release them all under her own name. So essentially, like, they were like, well, we'll give you an alias and you can start writing these other books under this alias. And then we can maybe sort of keep up with your output. Um, and it's interesting to me because the sex, the way that women are portrayed in this book and the way that the sex is portrayed is so pro-woman. Like, I can't think of a, a any sort of romance or um, any sort of explicit sex that I have read that is written by a man that is so focused on the woman's pleasure as the sex in this book was. So the fact that this was, it's just very interesting to me that this was kind of touted as being written by a man when it reads very, very much as if it was written by a woman. Well, dudes are dumb. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they are. (laughs) And then the other thing is the politics of this book. I don't, we talked about this 
very, very briefly in the year one episode. And then I kind of put it off to talk about here because obviously this one is much more seeped in politics. But the like unabashed liberalism. Yes. And and is, and especially I think exposing the hypocrisy of of conservatives. Ugh. Yeah. And like this is nineteen ninety five that these are being written in. Like it's one thing if it was written today, but I feel like you know, even today, there's a lot of famous authors who might feel that way, but would not necessarily take a stand in their published work so brazenly. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's not perfect. Like, despite the fact that it is s- stated in the text several times that, like, licensed companions are respected and, like, it's a respected p- profession and it's super safe. Like, there are still a lot of knocks about, like, oh, like, women who sell themselves and, you know, oh, like, it's degrading. So the text kind of wants it to be both ways. But, like, for 1995, yeah. to be this, like, Pro sex work, pro women, anti gun, pro li- uh, pro choice rather, not pro life. Um, yeah, yeah, we didn't even talk. There's a lot in here just casually about all the different kinds of contraception, and that's also something that the morality bill was trying to get rid of. Ugh. Yeah, it's just it's very very like unabashedly liberal mm-hmm. in a way that was very refreshing especially as someone who like watches a lot of murder shows who like and I love murder shows and I can divorce murder shows from my own politics for the most part and I know that it's problematic to be like watch a hundred shows where like the cops are the heroes yeah I was gonna say like it is weird to be like a hero cop in the future but uh especially we didn't say you probably could assume eve is white like a a white lady hero cop but also mm, she is i don't know yeah so like it is like usually like when you're watching when you're watching 100 hours of law and order a day or 100 hours of criminal minds a day like there's a lot of like none of the characters are like outright like fanatic right-wing conservatives or anything but there are occasionally like the vague subtext that isn't i mean it's not i don't even know how to describe it but it's it's very like pro police force i guess i'm not describing this at all very well but when you get used to that background radiation in all of your murder entertainment, it is very refreshing to see different background radiation in murder entertainment. Well, what's interesting too, is when you were talking about Eve has a big hang up with licensed companions, even though she recognizes that it's, it's a legal um, endeavor, but it's something that she actually, she grows as the series goes because she actually, Charles, <laughs> Charles Monroe is a big character that plays out in a lot of books. So oh, cool. she becomes like friends that. with him. So her, her stance on it kind of goes through this like change, which I think is very interesting because it's like, it's almost like she put it there to be like, you know, to have something that Eve could sort of grow into, even though she's the main character. And I think with Eve, it's also linked very much to her own personal trauma. By the way, did we mention the part where Eve also suddenly remembers that her father used to sexually abuse her when she was a child and, like, that's what she's blacked out? 
I kind of think we got into the actual, like, the present-day murder and maybe didn't say that part out loud. But so, like, she has her own history with sexual assault and sexual trauma, and so, and I think that's also what we were seeing play out with Rourke, where she wasn't, wasn't prepared to, like, enjoy sex because she hasn't been dealing with her own trauma. And so I could definitely see how, for a character like that, that would play out into, like, all of your attitudes about sex and all of your attitudes about sex workers. Also, like we said several times, uh, this book was written in 1995, so I think even just the evolution of politics, as we've moved through the last, like, 25 years, God, that's a long time, Mm -hmm. also probably has brought to light, like, a lot more information and sensitivity about the subject that I imagine probably without having read any of the more recent ones, Nora has folded kind of into the evolving world of these books. She's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do we do to deserve Nora? I know. I, I really, I have been fully indoctrinated into this cult at this point, I think. Mm -hmm. Listen, I made a note in the Google doc about how mad I am that this series is not, a TV show or a movie series. And the reason I say I blame Mel Gibson is because I'm pretty sure in an interview, she once said that the reason there's not movies is because his studio owns the rights. And I'm so mad about it because, because it's so, it would be so good as a series because she eventually, like she starts, this book is very Eve and Rourke centered, but like as she goes, she brings in so many more characters. There's a bullpen that's very Brooklyn Nine Nine. Like, mm. so it'd be so great, and I'm so mad it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I would watch the hell out of that. Right? There's 60 books. You could do three seasons just out of the books themselves. <sighs> Netflix, <laughs> get on the shit. Let's start a letter writing campaign. Yes. I mean, she's not George R. R. Martin. She releases two in-depth books every year. She probably has 30 that have already been written that haven't been published. Yeah, man. When she talks about her writing schedule and her... I just can't... I just can't believe it. This lady's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) She's Nora fucking Roberts. (laughs) When I went to that book signing, she once said, like, when she first started writing, it was because she was snowed in with, like, two little boys. She's like, so we came up with a rule where... The boys were not to disturb mom unless there was blood or fire. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, when they got older, we changed that to arterial blood and raging infernos. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. She's so-, she's so good. Shall we move on to our dramatic readings and just give you a, just a little dose of directly how good Nora is? Let's this. do that. All right. So our first dramatic reading is from... Uh, a chat between Eve and Rourke and Kate will be Eve slash the narrator and I'll be Rourke. What did you mean when you said I didn't know what I was getting into? I'm not sure if you understand the power de Blas has or can use. The scandal of his granddaughter's murder could add to it. He wants the presidency and he wants to dictate the mood and moral choices of the country and beyond. You're saying he could use Sharon's death politically? How? He could paint his granddaughter as a victim of society, with sex for profit as the murder weapon. 
how can a world that allows legalized prostitution, full conception control, sexual adjustment, and so forth not take responsibility for the results? De Blas also wants to eliminate the gun ban. She was shot by a weapon, not really available under current law. Which makes it more insidious. Would she have been able to defend herself if she, too, had been armed? It hardly matters what the answer is, only the question itself. Have we forgotten our founders and the basic tenets of their blueprint for the country? Our right to bear arms. A woman murdered in her own home, her own bed, a victim of sexual freedom and defenselessness. More, yes, much more, of moral decline. Oh, you'll argue that murder by handgun was the rule, rather than the exception, when anyone with the desire and the finances could purchase one. But he'll drown that out. The Conservative Party is gaining ground, and he's the spearhead. Has it occurred to you that he might not want the murderer caught? Why wouldn't he? Over and above the personal, wouldn't that give him even more ammunition? Here's the low-life, immoral scum that murdered my poor, misguided granddaughter. That's a risk, isn't it? Perhaps the murderer is a fine, upstanding pillar of his community who was equally misguided. But a scapegoat is certainly required. Who do you think made certain you went to testing in the middle of this case? Who's watching every step you take, monitoring every stage of your investigation? Who's digging into your background, your personal life, as well as your professional one? I suspect DeBlas put the pressure on about testing. He doesn't trust me, or he hasn't decided that I'm competent to lead the investigation. And he had Feeney and me followed from East Washington. How do you know he's digging on me? Because you are? He didn't mind the anger in her eyes or the accusation. He preferred it to the worry another might have showed. No, because I'm watching him while he's watching you. I decided I'd find it more satisfying to learn about you from the source, over time, than by reading reports. He stepped closer, skimmed his fingers over her choppy hair. I respect the privacy of the people I care about, and I care about you, Eve. I don't know why, precisely, but you pull something from me. When she started to step back, he tightened his fingers. I'm tired of every time I have a moment with you, you put murder between us. There is murder between us. No. If anything, that's what brought us here. Is that the problem? You can't shed Lieutenant Dallas long enough to feel? That's who I am. Then that's who I want. That's hot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly like on the lower end of horny for their interactions. (laughs) They're just getting started. All right. Um, our next dramatic reading is from a, a very, a very good scene. And uh, Kate, again, will be Eve. And Christine will be Hedda, who you'll meet. You won't find store-bought or simulations in my house, Hedda said proudly. Of course, Joe would gobble up everything almost as soon as I took it out of the oven. There's not an auto chef on the market as reliable and as good as a good baker's instincts and creativity. You did bake the pie, Mrs. Feinstein. The woman blinked and lowered her lashes. Yes, I did. Mrs. Feinstein, you know what killed your husband? Yes, I do. She smiled softly. Gluttony. I told him not to eat it. I specifically told him not to eat it. I said it was from Mrs. Hennessy across the hall. Mrs. Hennessy. That jolted Eve back several mental paces. You... Of course I knew he'd eat it anyway. He was very selfish that way. 
Eve cleared her throat. Could we uh, turn the program off? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. The flustered hostess tapped her cheeks with her hands. That's so rude. I'm so used to letting it play all day. I don't even notice it. Um, program, no, screen off. And the audio, Eve said patiently. Of course. Shaking her head as the sound continued to run, Hedda looked sheepish. I just never got the hang of the thing since we switched from remote to voice. Sound off, please. There, that's better, isn't it? The woman could bake a poison pie, but couldn't control her own television, Eve thought. It took all kinds. Mrs. Feinstein, I don't want you to say any more until I've read you your rights, until you're sure you understand them. You're under no obligation to make any statement, Eve began, while Hedda continued to smile gently. Hedda waited until the recitation was over. I didn't expect to get away with it. Not really. Get away with what, Mrs. Feinstein? Poisoning Joe. Although, she pursed her lips like a child, my grandson's a lawyer, a very clever boy. I think he'd say that since I did tell Joe, very specifically told him not to eat that pie, it was more Joe's doing than mine. In any case, she said and waited patiently. Mrs. Feinstein, are you telling me that you added synthetic cyanide compound to a custard pie with the intention of killing your husband? No, dear. I'm telling you I added some cyanide compound compound with a nice dose of extra sugar to a pie and told my husband not to touch it. Joe, I said, don't you so much as sniff this custard pie. I baked it special and it's not for you. You hear me, Joe? Hedda smiled again. He said he heard me all right, and then just before I left for my evening with the girls, I told him again, just to be sure. I mean it, Joe. You let that pie be. I expected he would eat it, though. But that was up to him, wasn't it? Let me tell you about Joe, she continued conversationally and picked up the cookie tray to urge another on Eve. When Eve hesitated, she laughed gaily. Oh, dear, these are quite safe, I promise you. I just gave a dozen to the nice little boy upstairs. Oh, what a good murder. What a good murder. My favorite little detail about this is that Hedda can't, like, can't slash won't turn her TV up while they're talking. Just because at the library, I get so many phone calls from older people who just fully leave, like, news television on in the background while they're calling me on the phone. I'm like, now I have to listen to your question and also Fox News. Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye bye. Yeah. Anyway, okay. And then the last dramatic reading is one of the most important parts of the entire book, obviously, and um, and I will read it to you as Eve. It helped to tell herself Somerset was an insufferable snob. Somerset, by the way, is Rourke's butler, and he is a snob. And the cat's silent interest as she vented on the drive home was curiously soothing. She didn't need some tight-ass butler's approval. As if in agreement, the cat walked over onto her lap and began to knead her thighs. She winced a little as his claws nipped through her trousers, but didn't move him aside. I guess we've got to come up with a name for you. Never had a pet before. I don't know what Georgie called you, but we'll start fresh. Don't worry, we won't go for anything wimpy like Fluffy. She pulled into her garage, parked, saw the yellow light blipping on the wall of her spot. A warning that her payment on the space was overdue. If it went red, the barricade would engage and she'd be screwed. She swore a little, more from habit than heat. She hadn't had time to pay bills, damn it, and now realized she could face an evening of catching up playing the credit juggle with her bank account. Hauling the cat under her arm, she walked to the elevator. Fred, maybe. 
She tilted her head, stared into his unreadable two-toned eyes. No, you don't look like a Fred. Jesus, you must weigh 20 pounds. Shifting her bag, she stepped into the car. We'll give the name some thought, Tubbo. The minute she set him down inside the apartment, she darted for, he darted for the kitchen. Taking her responsibilities as pet owner seriously, and deciding it was one way to postpone crunching figures, Eve followed and came up with a saucer of milk and some leftover Chinese that smelled slightly off. The cat apparently had no delicacies when it came to food, and attacked the meal with a gusto. What a good fucking cat. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, I'm so happy you enjoy these books. I'm I'm so happy to have read it. I promise <laughs> that the cat is in is in more of the books. He's in all of the books, but of, uh, of course, how could how could he not be? He has more lines. Is what <laughs> Good. Uh, I hope I hope he never loses weight. I hope he remains a fat cat. <laughs> he does. Thank Excellent. God. That's what I like. <laughs> We stand a chunk. Yes. All right. Let's let's play some Would You Rather. Sounds good. Would you rather be a badass future NYPD cop who can kick anyone's ass, or a formal former criminal turned billionaire who can, whatever? He's a billionaire. A billionaire. Obviously, I know billionaires are evil, but if I was a billionaire. I would only be a billionaire for a very short period of time until I paid off all of my debts and then, like, paid into making society better. Same. Yeah, same. I mean, being a cop seems bad. Like, Eve herself is awesome, but being a cop is bad. I mean, I want to kick people's ass, but I'm pretty sure I could do that as a billionaire. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, you could be become Batman. Fair. Except for I hate Batman. Well... <laughs> Don't tell Nicole. You can make some changes. <laughs> Christine, I have a bad news for you about the nature of recording a podcast and releasing it on the internet. <laughs> Shit. Uh, you could become Iron Man? Oh. I'll take it. Okay, how about, would you rather shoot old-fashioned guns with Rourke or go uh, fancy gliding with Christian Grey? <sighs> this is rough because I have no desire to shoot guns. But I also have no desire to ever see Christian Grey. So I need to weigh this for a moment. Yeah, we didn't dig into it that much, but there were a lot of points where Rourke seemed to me like a proto-Christian Grey type character. He's, like, very rich and very, like... There's times when Eve wants to go and take the public shuttle or whatever, and he's like, no, we'll take my private jet. It's just more efficient. Just come with me and just, like, you'll like it. Um, but he's never as fully, like, domineering as Christian... No, he never Christian, buys her work. Christian Grey is a cheap knockoff of work. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. Let's go there. Let's go there. Um. So it, it the the implication here is not that I need to date or be friends with either of these people nope. in this situation. Nope. So I think I would go gliding with Christian Grey, but then afterwards, like, go and hang out with Rourke and gossip about like what a dipshit Christian Grey is. Because I'm sure they travel in the same circles, oh, and I'm sure that Rourke, in his head, it constantly has a commentary about what a dipshit Christian Grey is going on. Yeah, I I same. I think that gliding thing that they do seemed fun, and I'll I'll go gliding with Christian. 
I would shoot guns with work because his setup is basically like just a really fancy arcade. And yeah. I think I could just convince myself I was just shooting like a duck hunt gun. That's fair. And plus he could like make targets for whoever I wanted. And I'm pretty sure I could come up with some people I'd like to meet. <laughs> like such as Christian Grey. Exactly. <laughs> I could shoot down Christian Grey's gl- hang glider. I wouldn't even have to shoot Christian Kelly. All right. Well, this this sounds like a fun day of activities for all of us. And last up, would you rather eat a pie with Hedda Feinstein or eat at Steaks and Cakes, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that only serves steaks and cakes? Well, as great as Mrs. Feinstein was as a character and as wonderful a diversion as that was in the book and as terrible as my mental health is most of the time, I, I do sort of like living right now. <laughs> I'm okay with it, at least. I've come to terms with it. So Yeah, we're not yet in a year one apocalypse. Yes. So I think I would have to go to Steaks and Cakes. Also, of course, they're our sponsor, and I respect them and all the dedication they've put into the success of this podcast. Uh, so yeah, give me that steak and that cake. Yes, give me give me that steak and oh no, give me that cake is what I meant to say, obviously. <laughs> and what I was going to say was maybe in the future, like steaks and cakes twenty fifty, maybe by then steak will be so off the market that they will have soy steaks for me. That's probably what they would have. Yeah. So if in the I'm I'm going to go to future steaks and cakes. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm going to go eat the pie because in the future, I'm pretty sure they probably have an antidote that if I could just have the antidote while I'm eating the pie, it sounds like the pie is pretty tasty. Yeah. And like, she probably wouldn't want to kill you. Like if you were eating the pie, she'd be like, oh, oops. I'd be like the young boy up upstairs that she gave the cookies to. Yes. Yeah, just knock back that antidote with the pie, like pie with a side of antidote, mm-hmm. and you'd have a really pleasant afternoon with Mrs. Feinstein. Yeah. I mean, she said she put extra sugar in it. I bet it's real sweet. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some stuff to read or watch instead of or in addition to these books. First of all, straight up, in addition to, like, this book was great, and you should read it, I think. Yes. Yeah. And there are 59 other books in the series, so read them all. She also did one where she, half of the book she wrote is Nora Roberts and half of the book she wrote is J.D. Robb. So there's like two stories and then they sort of like interact with each other. That was fun. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with this immediately. (laughs) I will bring it to you. It's called Remember When. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome full service coming to my house to DM my Dungeons and Dragons and bring me a Nora Roberts J.D. Raw book. Yep. Love it. Best best secret second cousin-in-law ever. Yes. <laughs> so I talk a lot on this show. Well, obviously, like we said, there's more J.D. Raw books. There's more Nora Roberts books. You know that this is basically a Nora Roberts fan cast at this point in time. But I feel like I talk a lot on the show about how I love murder shows, but I don't really ever, uh, you know, expand upon that. So 
here are some of my favorite fictional murder shows that I watch all the time if you are in the mood for a procedural. Obviously, like there's the big ones like Criminal Minds and Law and Order SVU, uh, which I think everyone is kind of like in tune with. There's a lot of Criminal Minds on Netflix starting from the beginning, uh, SVU starting from the beginning on Hulu, uh, and then they have the later seasons on Netflix. But the one of my favorite Law and Orders that I think is not does not get the spotlight as much as it should is Law and Order Criminal Intent, which is a fantastic show. I love all of the leads, and it's just a very different setup for Law and Order. If you're unfamiliar, the reason that Law and Order, the original flavor, is set up the way that it is is because there was more money in selling half-hour shows to syndication than hour-long shows. So the thought was they could split the show up into two sections, Law and Order, and sell them as half-hour syndicated blocks instead of hour-long syndicated blocks if the show didn't do super well. And of course, obviously, it turned into a phenomenon and spawned a million spinoffs. Criminal Intent kind of throws that set up off the, out of the door. There's a lot more uh, scenes and stuff from like the killer's perspective and the suspect's perspective. It's kind of more based on like a Sherlock Holmes sort of format. Uh, Detective Gorin is supposed to be kind of like the Sherlock Holmesy character. And then Detective Eames is his... Watson. It's very good. I like it. Rizzoli and Isles is a show that I don't know if it's streaming anywhere currently, but it was a dual female-led show with a female detective and a female um, coroner who worked together from the medical examiner's office who worked together to solve crimes. Very good. There's books uh, of that, too, if you like books. Yes, which maybe you do if you watch this show. Um, or listen to the show rather yes. without a trace is a good it's about missing persons and not murder really but a lot of times those missing persons are murdered and uh, I'll give one more shout out to Instinct which is the Alan Cumming led based on a James Patterson novel <laughs> procedural uh, currently running on CBS where uh, one of the like odd couple lead investigators is a married queer professor who used to be a CIA agent. And I love this show. And there are some murders I like. Um, I'm not particularly invested in murders, but this reminded me of the movie Demolition Man, which is not a good movie. It's nowhere near as good of a movie as this book is good at being a book, but it is like a future crime situation where Sylvester Stallone has been cryogenically frozen from like, I don't know, the 1990s. And then they unfreeze him so he can work with Sandra Bullock to solve like another past crime um, with like old timey guns and stuff, and it's like very that vibe. Um, and there's also a very funny "How did this get made?" episode about it, which is why I watched the movie in the first place. That pairing, I would recommend if you want some future crimes. Also, have a weird incestuous vibe. Anyway, uh, I also for for just very prescient futuristic writing will suggest "Feed" by M. T. Anderson, who. Just shout out to M.T. Anderson always, all the time, but in this case, uh, futuristic into it. And finally, I have talked online multiple times about my love for and my severe problems with the, a Facebook group called This Cat is Chonky. And this is a Facebook group where people can post pictures of chonky cats, a.k.a. fat cats, 
And I love this. I love to look at pictures of fat cats. But sometimes people post their skinny cats in the chonky cat group. And that's infuriating. But, <laughs> like, real, like, come on. Post your skinny cat elsewhere. This is the chonky cat group. All of you. Um, but it sounds like, it sounds like Eve's cat Galahad is a solid chonk, absolute unit, welcome in the chonky fat, chonky cat Facebook group anytime, or whatever social media they have in the future. She can definitely post him in the chonky cat face link community. <laughs> I mean, does that seem like something Eve Dallas is going to do? She's not, but she could. Is what, okay. And That's she would, fair. yeah, and she would never falsely post a skinny cat for sure. For sure. I feel like it's something that her friend Mavis would do when she was over at her apartment taking pictures of Galahad. Yes, Mavis would do this. Yes. Oh, so many good characters in these books. Um, all right. That sounds like Reader's Advisory. And yeah. maybe it's time for candy pairing. Yeah. Mine is chocolate covered coffee beans, um, partly because you know, coffee is so rare and scarce in the future, apparently. And then partly because this book was just, like, delicious, it energized me, it gave me strength, just like a chocolate-covered coffee bean would. Uh, I put my candy pairing as Oreos, which are some of my favorite snacks. Uh, and it's just like an Oreo. There's, like, a lot of murder on the outside, but you got that, like, sweet little bit of romance on the inside between the murder, which is how I like my murder stories. Uh, I put Starburst because I'll just eat an entire package until I'm sick. And sometimes I'll just start reading the in death series until my eyes are burning. <laughs> this all sounds correct. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the rock paper snicked where Kate will say who Dwayne, the rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Christine will choose which most enhances the book or can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Uh, if The Rock were in this book, he would just play Feeny. Like, literally, that would just be his role, would be to play Feeny, and literally nothing else would change. Mm-hmm. Um, if Wolverine were in this book, he would also be a regular customer at Francois Deli, which we didn't really dive into, but he is a grumpy French man who banters with Eve when she goes to buy or steal candy bars from him. Um, And Wolverine would also be there, and he and Eve would just sometimes exchange cordial nods with each other. But they respect each other too much to really get into each other's business. That is a tough choice. But literally, really, the only thing that could make this book better is Blue Apron. Blue Apron. (laughs) Stop it. They don't give us money. (laughs) What was the one from... um... The yellow... Oh, yeah, yellow spatula, I think. Yes, yellow spatula. (laughs) Listen, I just want to put it out there, guys. If you ever do get that sweet, sweet blue apron money, I would do your ad every week. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to put that out there. You don't even have to pay me anything. Uh, We'll pay you in individual packets of spices. Perfect. Perfect. Love it. Uh, I actually would love to see The Rock as Feeny. I'm going to I'm going to say I would love to see the rock play Feeny. Yeah, who especially would? since nothing else is changing. Yeah, that's the pro- like it's real hard to improve on this book because it's fucking great. Yeah. But when they make the series, they can cast him. Yes, I love it. You know, and then just for a fun Easter egg, they can just put Wolverine in the background at the deli and it's no big deal. Yeah, Just I have agree. Hugh Jackman walk through the scene. Yeah, everyone wins. 
works so well. Nora brings everybody together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nora's books brings all the boys to the yard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Um, well, that's that's a great moral of the story, honestly. But uh, what else do we think the moral of the story is? Uh, my moral is that cats are the ultimate choice in home and personal protection. Yes, and I my moral is yes, you're correct, and also uh, ban men. My moral is even in the future, never rely on the algorithm to solve your problems, which is a, a callback to when Eve was like, computer, could two killers have done this? And the computer was like, no, when clearly she was correct. So the computer also was like 86% chance that Rourke did it. Yeah. And instead it was 86% chance that he did Eve. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a 110% chance that he did that. <laughs> yeah. All right, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his opinions about the book. <coughs> yeah, Duarte, you re- I'm so happy that you got a chance to read this and just finally see some positive representation of cats in the media. I know it's it's so important and yeah I you know I 100% am with you there you know my feelings on cats are mixed sometimes but I really do think that Galahad played a big role in this and you know I think you're right to to make him like kind of your hero yeah yeah Dorte and good news is I know you know Nora has talked about the end of the in-death series but I really think that when Eve retires Galahad can pick up the slack This could be a series about Galahad the Cat. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely space for that here. Absolutely. All right. Well, Duarte, thanks for your opinions. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? This is a good book. You should read it. When does the podcast officially change to the Nora Roberts podcast? Is that this month? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we'll have to wait. I I think we're probably like three Fox News books away from just, like, a total emotional break. And then after that... (laughs) Oh, God, you're not wrong. (laughs) Just think, if you read two in-depth books every year, you would have enough for, like, the next three years, at least. Probably four. Just want to put that out there. Yeah, no, we... It's not for lack of material. It's just... Copyright? No... I don't know why. Why aren't we yet? What? Is, why do we keep reading these bad books? Why is that the premise of our podcast? <laughs> this was a choice we made four and a half years ago. It was. Listen, just put it on your secret board that you want to get Nora's blessing to be her official podcast. I don't think we would even need that. I think we can just do it. I think it's just that that's not what we chose to do because we I were mean, idiots. I- <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna turn down though the idea of getting Nora's blessing. I I would feel so hashtag blessed if if Nora were to say to me that she appreciates and approves of what I'm doing with my life. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No. Put it on the secret board. Yeah. All right. <laughs> gonna update that. Uh. All right. Well, if you want to find us online and just talk about how great Nora Roberts slash J D Rob is. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at worstbestseller with no S at the end because in the future there is a real shortage of S's and we had to give one up and drink fake coffee substitute while we tweet. 
we also have a Goodreads group that is best accessed from worstbestsellers.com and click on the Goodreads link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and now Spotify. Uh, and if you do subscribe to us on one of those platforms, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pushes us up a bit in the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review us, then we're going to have to start uh, you know, taking back all of your items that have uh, things that are now in scarcity. So no more coffee, no more meat. It's, it's going to be rough. Mm-hmm. So no, just, no more photos of chonky cats. No more photos of chonky cats. You can also subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. If you're unaware, Patreon is a platform where you can pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes towards things like keeping our website hosting up and running and paying our editor and buying equipment and all sorts of cool stuff. There's also a monthly newsletter for people who subscribe at $3 or above. Uh, and, you know, that's that's a pretty good perk. We also have a shop that you can find by going to Worst Best Sellers and clicking on store. Uh, it's got all sorts of things with our logo and a Rock Paper Snicked logo and some other cool stuff uh, that you can get to wear on your body. Yay. All right, and finally, if you just want uh, more of me personally, as well as my slonky cat, that's what you call a cat who's not chunky. He's long and skinny, and he's Duarte. Anyway, we're on <laughs> we're online at Renata Snacks on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at basically every social media platform at fourteen across. Uh, this is the only place you can hit me up on and hear my sexy voice. So sorry. (laughs) Yeah. If you go back to last February, we had Christine on to talk about a angel falls, angels fall. One of those. Yeah. Something like that. I think we got it mixed up throughout the episode then as well. Yes. It's fine. It was a great book though. It was no matter where you put the S in the title. (laughs) There's some, nor does no wrong. Mm hmm. All right. Well, sadly, sadly, our month of Nora Roberts is up and we'll be back in two weeks with After by Anna Todd, which you may have heard about because it started off as Harry Styles fan fiction on Wattpad. And I personally am dreading it because our guest uh, informed us that it's 600 pages long. So I'm just going to go lie down in bed and die now. I haven't confirmed. I'm hoping that those are like ebook pages with big font. (laughs) I do like that the book you're, is called After. It's like, after the goodness of Nora, you're going to read this piece of shit. Yeah. That is that is true. Yeah. That is. It is very well placed. <sighs> Goodbye, Nora. We loved you. Goodbye, Nora. We'll see you next year. <laughs> Props to you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> well, we'll we'll see how long we can manage. <laughs> uh, Christine, thanks again for joining us. I'm sorry I threatened to cut you out of my life. that's we deeply appreciate your nora expertise as always thank you i'll see you in two months when i dm your next game yay i look forward to it all right until then i'll see you around the the web links or stuff (laughs) Bye. bye bye